All right, what is up, people? Welcome back. Episode three of the Merlot and the Mob podcast. Ryan, how you doing, bud? What up? What up? How's everything been? Pretty pretty good, man. You know, just uh, just maxing and relaxing. Max and relaxing. How's hey. that sock treating you this week? It's good, man. This is a good one. Um, looks pretty clean inside out. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. Good, man. Yeah, it's not, not too crusty this time. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Like I said, this is episode three of the Merlot and the Mob podcast. Before we begin, look, I just want to remind everyone, I know this is a little bit on the business end. Please, if you're listening, just take like 30 seconds of your time and just rate review and subscribe it's easy literally one click i know you probably got to sign in your itunes account whatever it helps us out i'll give you kisses yeah i give you kisses uh but no that would really that really just uh you know help us out and help drive this podcast up whatever chart it would be on if it even is on one but yeah if you guys like it i mean just just let us know just uh show us um, but yeah, today, um, same format. Um, we're going to do, we're just going to keep it simple. We're going to do a sit per murder, a sit per arrest. Um, mm. and this guy was absolutely fucking crazy. Uh, today we are profiling, uh, James or Jimmy Burke. Ryan, what do you know about Jimmy Burke? Does that ring a is bell? Is that the same guy from, uh, Goodfellas? It's so, so Robert De Niro's character is based, based? on Jimmy Burke. Wow. Yeah. So his favorite in, movie. It's let's, definitely let's up it. there. That's one of those movies that I could watch. Whenever, wherever. Yeah, if it's on TBS, it. it's going on. Yeah. Staying on. So in, uh, in the movie, it was Jimmy Conway, but in real life, it was James Burke. And James Burke was born in New York. His mother, Jane Conway, was from Dublin, Ireland. And James' father had uh, has never been identified, actually. That's pretty interesting. At age two, his mother placed him in a foster home where he spent most of his early years in a Roman Catholic orphanage managed by nuns and never saw his mother again. So he has, he probably doesn't have any memory of his parents. He says last, his mom's maiden name was Conway. His mom's maiden name was Conway, yes. Oh, okay, that's, that's where you go. That's where oh, okay, from. yeah. I, wow, I never put that together. Yeah. Like, not even in the slightest. That's hilarious. Um, awesome, yeah. So um, he was shuttled around various homes and orphanages um, where he suffered abuse by various foster family members. Man, his early life was all right. absolute dog shit. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the ride. That's that's kind of a theme, I think. Uh, it's always so early. Far. Abandonment. Early, yeah, early childhood development is always uh, not on par with, with these guys. So far, it's either no family or a family that's already entrenched. Yeah. Yeah, or you just grow up in the neighborhood. Um, but during the summer of 1944, when Burke was aged 13, his foster father died in a car crash. He lost control of the car when he turned around to hit Burke, who was riding in the back seat. The deceased man's widow, who was in the car as well, but survived, uh, blamed Burke for the accident and beat him regularly until he was taken back into foster care. So the parents, the dad's dead again, basically, from the foster family and in a car crash that the wife blames Jimmy on. Yeah, uh, dead foster parent, <laughs> mom left him, doesn't even know his real dad. This sucks. All this right. absolutely sucks. I feel bad for him right I do now. Too. During 1962, when Burke and his future wife Mickey decided to get married, Burke discovered that Mickey was being bothered by an ex-boyfriend who was calling her by telephone, yelling at her on the street, and passing her house for hours in his car. On Burke and Mickey's wedding day, police found the ex-boyfriend's remains. He had been cut into more than a dozen pieces and tossed all over the inside of his car. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Dude, who are the people? I want to I want to start a separate podcast of profiling the psychotic people that marry these mobsters. Yeah, it would be like really cool to go in the psyche of like Karen Hill, Henry Hill's wife. 
or Jesus, dude, love does some strange things, man. Remember um, the the lady from the Whitey Bulger episode that went on the yeah, run with him basically and was just hiding his identity the whole time. Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. Now we are moving into criminal dealings. So that was. Very briefly on his early that life. That was outside of the mob. Correct? That was outside. I think that, that was, was outside just, of the mob. That right was just there. like a Saturday errand. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's just, um, I, I know we're getting married at four, honey. Um, but at noon, I have to, you know, go hang out with the boys. I got to, um, you know, get ready. Get a little lick it up. And yeah, there's a dead person in his car. Um, Burke was of Irish descent. And because he was not Italian, he wasn't eligible to become a made man. He was an associate and had one made man as friend and associate, Paul Vario who is Polly in the movie. Um, during the 1950s, Burke was involved with various illegal activities such as distributing untaxed cigarettes and liquor. Burke was a mentor to Thomas Di Simone, Henry Hill, and Angelo Seppe, who were all young men during the 1960s. They performed jobs for Burke, such as selling stolen merchandise. They eventually became part of Jimmy's crew and were based in South Ozone Park, Queens, and East New York, Brooklyn. That's where the 7-5 is. Yeah. East New York. Yeah, it's not... It's a pretty rough part. Um, the pair helped Burke with the hijacking of delivery trucks. According to Hill, Burke would take the driver's licenses and would usually give $50 to the drivers of the trucks that they stole, as if he were tipping them for the inconvenience, which resulted in his nickname, Jimmy the Gent. Corrupt law enforcement officers bribed by Burke would tell him about any potential witnesses or informants. Burke told Henry Hill that bribing cops was like feeding elephants at the zoo. All you need is peanuts. Guy's got jokes, I guess, huh? Yeah, I mean, he's funny. Yeah, how crazy is it that cops were that easy to bribe back in the day? It's it's pretty... Well, no one's ever going to find out like they would today. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the real power lies with the criminal activity in the cities I don't at feel, this point. So I don't, it's like... Get, yeah, I don't feel like there was or, a lot of checks and balances yeah, no, back wasn't then. At all. Not at all. Um, but yeah, so um, Hill said about Burke... Jimmy could plant you just as fast as shake your hand. It didn't matter to him. At dinner, he could be the nicest guy in the world, but then he could blow you away for dessert. Um, pause. <laughs> he could blow you away from dessert, but he'll be the nicest guy in the world at dinner. That's uh, some. That's scary, man. That's yeah. like disassociated personality. Yeah, no, I, this guy was not a very nice person. I'm going to take a sip for uh, Go for murders. it, man. There we go. Ryan is uh, abstaining. Today, trying to be healthy. I don't blame him. Yeah, kidney failure starting to, to <laughs> set in. So, cirrhosis of the liver is. It's is a real threat way. these days. Um, nice. Burke owned a tavern in South Ozone Park, Queens, called uh, named Robert's Lounge. It was a favorite venue of Burke and his crew and many other assorted criminals. Henry Hill claimed that the tavern was also Burke's private cemetery, and more than a dozen people were buried in and around it. Burke managed a loan sharking and bookmaking operation that was based at the tavern and high stakes poker games in the basement of which he would receive a percentage. I wonder if the, that bamboo lounge, bamboo lounge in the movie is based off that place. It definitely is. 100%. 100%, Right. Yeah. I think Henry Hill just in reading a little bit about him kind of had like his own restaurants that they would, um, that he would own and everything like in Queens. Yeah. But I think the, um, scene where he's like, I'm funny to you, like a yeah, clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Joe Pesci says that ha- has got to be in like the Robert's Lounge or yeah. what was based on that. When Burke had a problem collecting money that he was owed and the unfortunate debtor had children, he would pick up the child in his huge arm, open the refrigerator with the other and say, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to lock your kid inside the fucking refrigerator. <laughs> a 
kid cannot fit in our re- refrigerator, by the way. Dude, you could put a kid in there. You, you think you could, a, like yeah, a t- small well, child? No, you just got to take out the shelves. Trust oh, me. Oh, true. true. I, trust oh, me. Oh, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were telling me about that one time, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Burke also owned a dress factory in South Ozone Park, Queens, named Moo Vetas. I love that. Moo, like literally Moo Vetas, like a cow, which kept him supplied with laundered money. During 1972, Burke and Henry Hill were arrested for beating Gaspar Siaccio in Tampa, Florida. Siaccio allegedly owned a large, owed a large gambling debt to their friend, union boss Casey Rosado. That was the scene where they the almost fed him to a lion. Yeah, man, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like this is a really good person to cover just based on the fact that like everything he's doing is completely tied in with the movie. Exactly. Yeah, we have a lot to to like look at from the movie yeah, and in real yeah, life. man. It's like you you think that's just like a story or somebody like. Martin Scorsese did a phenomenal job tying in real life and yeah, and yeah, man. Oh, God, that movie's so freaking good, it dude. So every good. time I find like a different Easter egg about the yeah, movie. yeah. Like the last time I watched it, the scene where they're introducing everyone at the bar, like Jimmy Two Time, I'm gonna go get papers, get yeah. the papers. They they look at one guy and he, I I don't know, he like says something, he just says like hey or whatever. But that guy was a NYPD cop. I can't. I don't remember his name, but he was an NYPD cop whose family was in the mob, and he was all like, "I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Like I'm honest." He wrote a book about it and everything. And then, like in the 2000s, like in the 2010s, I think actually pretty recently, he was found that he was conspiring with the mob this entire fucking time. Like no the, his shit. entire career, because wow. his family was in the mob. He yeah. was like the cop in the mob. He was the mole, and uh, he got put like so far in prison. He got like. Buried under the prison, basically. Wow. Um, I gotta like show you whose name it was. I can't remember. Someone, if you know, if you're listening, let me know. But um, they were charged with extortion, convicted, and sentenced to ten years in federal prison. Burke was paroled after six years and resumed his criminal career, as did Hill, who was released about two years prior. Wait, so they got ten years for just like beating this guy up, just for like having a debt. That was like them saying, "Okay, we can't stick you for these murders." But yeah, yeah, they like actually caught him this time. There, this is like this is the only thing that can stick. They tried doing the max penalty on whatever that was. Right, exactly. It's like uh, it's like when O.J. Simpson got sticked with armed robbery and got thirty-seven years, which was yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He he wasn't even holding a gun or anything. It's absurd. <gasps> Afterwards, Hill began trafficking in drugs, and Burke was soon involved with his new enterprise. Even though the Lucchese crime family with whom they were associated did not authorize any of its members to deal drugs, the Lucchese ban was enacted because the prison sentences imposed on anyone convicted of drug trafficking were so lengthy that the accused would often become informants in exchange for a lesser sentence. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely does. And people who deal drugs tend to not have the highest morality, so they probably would tell. Um, This one is literally titled Murders. So let me, I'm going to fill up on some more wine. Yeah. Proactively. uh, Yeah. We're uh, we're drinking a Guerrero de Mendoza Cabernet Sauvignon 2016, an Argentinian wine. I've never had, never had Argentinian wine. How is it? Neither, neither. Yeah, I I had. It's pretty pretty good. Not my pick, but. Tell me about it's your day stuff. while you're, uh, while you're, while I'm Oh, geez. A lot of driving. It's a little, uh, little humid in, uh, in New York City. It's so, a lot of humid. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of sweat in a lot of different places and you're just trying to stay cool the whole time. Yeah. You listen to any podcast today? Or? I did. I listened to, uh, Spit and Chicklets. Shout out, uh, Ryan Whitney, Paul Bissonette. There we go. A, it was a, it was a good one. Straight man missiles. There, yeah. There we go, man. 
Um, awesome. So yeah, this one is literally just titled murders. Burke is alleged to have committed a number of murders, but no victims were ever named. He supposedly killed nine people after the Lutanza heist. Nine people. Jimmy's crew were responsible for a large number of the murders. Henry Hill said in an interview, 60 or 70 murders that I know of, there have been more. 60. This guy, one guy is responsible. That, that would make him the most prolific serial killer ever. In America. Really? Yeah, man. Yeah, like, name of, name of, I'm pretty well versed in this. Name of serial killer. I, I, again, I, I'm not too... I haven't done my reading from a serial killer perspective, um, but... Name, I, like, the first one that comes to your head. Um, uh, what's his... What's the... Um, oh, my God. D- uh, Dahmer, yeah, Bundy. Yeah, yeah, Jeffrey, John- Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. He only yeah. killed, like, ten people. Oh, Yeah, okay. but he's a cannibal and, like, ate him. Um, right. Yeah, 60 or 70 murders. That's, that's fucking ridiculous. All of those document... All those nine, though, from the Latanza heist documented in those Goodfellas. Are, those, yes, and those are known to have been committed by yeah. him. These 60 or 70 are just what Henry Hill is saying. Um, he did, however, order the murder of his best friend, Dominic Remo Sersani, who became an informant and was going to set up Burke in a cigarette hijack. Again, with the... Uh, that, this is not the Italian way, man. These dudes love cigarettes, though. Yeah, it's good. it was good money back then, probably. Um, Burke got suspicious about Sersani and later found out from one of his friends in the Queens, New York DA's office that Sersani was talking to the NYPD and that they were going to arrest Burke on a truck hijacking charge. Remo was killed within a week. At Robert's Lounge, Burke told Remo, let's take a ride. Tommy DeSimone strangled Remo with a piano wire. Henry Hill stated, Remo put up some fight. He kicked and swung and shit all over himself before he died. That's got to be it. He pooped his pants. He pooped his pants, man. That's got to be a horrible way Dude, to Dude, that's out. the worst thing that you can do before you die is shit your pants. Dude, I've heard that when you die, you shit. I've heard that as well. Like it just exits your body. I've heard that as well, but I'm wondering if that's like every single case or not. See, that's what I'm wondering too. I've never seen a dead body, no, been around a dead body ever. I'm also wondering that as well. But like he's probably, if he's saying he's struggling and shitting himself, he consciously knows that he pooped himself. And that's like one of his last thoughts is like, oh man, my pants are full of my own shit. Pants are heavy right now. God. That's, that has got to be the, yeah, that's really got to be one of the worst ways to go, man. Um, Burke had Remo buried next to the Pachi, buried next to the Bocce court behind the building. It was said that whenever Burke and Tommy DeSimone played Bocce there with friends, they would jokingly say, hi Remo, how you doing? That's, that's psychotic. Very near the bocce court. Unbelievable. Um, so yeah, now we're about to learn about the Lufthansa heist. Burke, Burke became famous as a result of the Lufthansa heist, which involved the theft of approximately $6 million in cash and jewels from Building 261 at the Lufthansa Cargo Terminal at JFK Airport. Based on inside information from Lufthansa Cargo Supervisor Louis Werner, who owed a large gambling debt to Burke-controlled bookmaker Martin Krugman, Burke planned and recruited a crew of criminal acquaintances that included Tommy DeSimone, Angelo Seppi, Louis Cafora, Joe Manry, Robert McMahon, and Paolo LaCastri. Burke's son, Frank James Burke, drove a crash car whose function was to ram all police cars in pursuit of the escape vehicle. Dude, he gave his son the worst job. Basically, By far the worst job. Get caught. That was his job. The only worst job happens. that you could have is making your son clean up that guy's shit after he killed him. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised 
reading about this guy, he probably ma- did make his son do that. That's like you're just like, hey, um, just drive full speed at cop cars. You're either a gonna die, b crash and be severely hurt, and then after you're hurt, you're gonna go to jail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there. That was literally a lose lose situation. Yeah, yeah. There's no coming out of unless that. he, of course, sir, like if that doesn't happen, and we'll see. Um, uh, Parnell Stephen Stacks Edwards did not directly participate with the robbery, but was ordered to dispose of the van used in the robbery at a junkyard compactor in New Jersey. Poor Samuel L. Jackson. Man. Stacks got high. Stacks got high. <laughs> Went to his girl's place. <laughs> The robbery occurred during the early morning hours of December 11th, 1978, because JFK Airport was divided between the Gambino crime family and the Lucchese family. Permission was asked and granted by the Gambino capo who controlled the airport, John Gotti. Gotti's crew expected 250000 from the proceeds of the robbery, and Paolo Lacastri, a soldier of Gotti for the uh, Gambino family, became the sixth gunman to ensure the Gambino's interests were maintained. A van containing the robbers and a crash car arrived at the Lufthansa car, uh, cargo terminal at 3 a.m. The crash car, driven by um, Frank's son, I'm sorry, Burke's son, Frank, remained in the parking lot. Three men got out of the van and entered the front door of the cargo terminal. The two men left in the van, drove to the rear of the building, cut the lock on the security fence, and replaced it with one of their own. The robbers, all armed, wore dark clothing and ski masks. Three men entered the building and captured all the employees at gunpoint. Since 3 a.m. was lunch hour for the shift, most personnel were already in the cafeteria. Carrie Whalen, the Lufthansa transfer agent who was returning from American Airlines rampside, saw two of the robbers sitting in a van without mask or gloves. As Whalen entered the building, he was pistol whipped. One of the robbers led the cargo agent inside the building where he was forced to the floor. I've heard getting pistol whipped hurts. I actually know one of my buddy's dads got pistol whipped in his car robbed in no uh, shit. in the burg yeah man really um, did he ever describe the pain you got yeah he said it was he said it was brutal it's just like getting hit in the head with a lead like imagine the weight of a i mean a little less just heavy it's like heavy from, metal well, yeah. well, from a like a crowbar perspective think mm-hmm. about like half of the weight of a crowbar just getting knocked into your face it's like density it's not about yeah it's got to hurt more than just yeah. a regular Dude, I, I, I wish to be honest with you in the movie i wish that martin scorsese like included this like John Gotti family deal and just with that part just like introduced it there was just like one interaction like I think that would have been pretty cool that would have been cool people would have like recognized that name and like yeah I feel like um that was probably filmed and like maybe left on the cutting room floor it would have kind of been cool to see the action behind the Lufthansa heist because they don't really yeah I agree with that it would have been like a cool action sequence that movie's long enough as is um, but, but dude, knowing that's, that's, everything behind it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, and that's like one of the main portions of the movie. Yeah, that's where absolutely. everything starts to like. It's it where everything good. starts to go south. I was gonna say it gets good at that point, but then it just completely goes south. It plummets. Yeah, very soon yeah. after that. <laughs> Since the robbers had inside information, all the employees were accounted for, handcuffed, and forced down on the floor. At gunpoint, the the shift supervisor was forced to deactivate the alarm system as well as all additional silent alarms within the vault and escort the robbers inside the vault. The supervisor was forced to open the cargo bay door. The robbers drove the van into the loading bay and packed it with every bag of currency from overseas military monetary exchanges and jewelry they found in the vault. 
After the van was loaded, the supervisor was taken back to the lunchroom, handcuffed and forced to the floor next to the other employees. The robbers ordered the employees not to make a move for at least 15 minutes. To ensure compliance, the robbers confiscated the wallets of every employee and threatened their families' lives if instructions were not followed. This 15-minute buffer was crucial because Warner's information made the robbers aware that the Port Authority police could seal the entire airport within 90 seconds, preventing any vehicles or persons entrance or exit. Um, these people that were handcuffed and, uh, you know, robbed at gunpoint could have very greatly benefited from a cell phone. Yeah. I mean, most of these crimes would have been not. I know. Isn't it funny how the cell phone has eradicated, also added a lot of crimes, but eradicated, not not necessarily eradicated, but made it a lot more difficult to really commit any crimes because everyone has a cell phone and they can just track you. Well, it's not not just cell phones, but just all technology. Like technological advancements, yeah, you can't, DNA, you can't and everything. Do this man, yeah, no, come close. At 3:40 a.m., the van containing the robbers and stolen cash moved out of the cargo terminal and left JFK Airport, followed by the crash car, and drove to a garage in Mazpeth, Queens, where Jimmy Burke was waiting. Uh, so he, would, he didn't even like. He, no, no, he of course just, not. No, why would he? He masterminded the entire thing. True. Why would you put in the legwork? True, true, true. There, the money was switched to a third vehicle that was driven away by Jimmy and his son Frank. The rest of the robbers left and drove home, except Paolo Lacastri, who insisted on taking the subway home. Parnell Stacks Edwards put stolen license plates on the van and was to drive it to a wrecking yard in New Jersey where it would be compacted to scrap metal. Um, yeah, we'll see how that ended up for good old Stacks. Yeah, there. we already know that one. Burke never expected the robbery to bring in more than $2 million and was shocked by the $6 million haul. He became paranoid about all the publicity. He was aware that a robbery of this magnitude would attract the intense attention of local, state, and federal authorities, causing many problems for all involved, as well as for organized crime in New York City in general. There were a number of murders and disappearances after the Lufthansa robbery, as Burke became increasingly concerned that there were too many witnesses who knew of his involvement and who became greedy upon learning the true amount of money stolen in the heist. Burke was being pressed for more money by the participants of the Lufthansa robbery, so he decided Decided to murder everyone associated. Maury's with it. wigs. Maury's wigs. Jimmy, I need my money. I need my money. I, Jimmy, I, I need my money. And then he just gets ice picked ice in the picked, back of the fucking neck. Crushed. What a way to go. Yeah, sorry. The, I just drank to all these murders that are about to happen. This guy murdered so many people, dude. Yeah, he's a cold blooded killer. Yeah, he really is. Dude, when you grow up with nothing, de- ah. I wonder if that, if you were born with this psychological tendency towards violence, or if you grow up in it, it's just what you know, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's your environment. He had no other ways. Like, again, he's a foster kid. His mom left him, and then he sees his foster. Well, first he gets abused. Then he, his foster father dies, and he gets blamed for that in the car. Like, it's got to be a heavy shit for a fucked, kid. Dude. Man. You're fucked. You're done. Yeah. Your whole life's done. I mean, there's. There is a very few percentage of, like, the entire population that has that kind of upbringing that has any success. Yeah. It well, sucks, I mean, man. there's always the, the statement that either rap, play ball, or it's either, like, sports, music, acting. Yeah. Or, you know, that's, that's really it. Or you can try to get good grades, try to make it out. Um, you know, in a way, some that's people not do it illegal. though, and like that, those are 
probably the most incredible stories to hear yeah. of the people that grew up like this and are completely or extremely successful motivating and expi- and inspiring of course yeah. but it's so much easier probably to go down this path yeah. especially in the time especially in Queens Absolutely. when everything was mob run Parnell Steven Stacks Edwards was found shot to death in his apartment in South Ozone Park Queens on December 18th 1978 man 7 days before Christmas dude sucks, that sucks dude. that sucks man only 1 week after the robbery Henry Hill was not involved with the robbery, but recounted that Stax forgot to dispose of the van used for the robbery at a New Jersey compactor, instead getting intoxicated by drugs and becoming unconscious at his girlfriend's house, leaving the truck in a no-parking zone. The next day, the van was discovered by police with his fingerprints as well as other evidence implicating him. Martin Krugman was the bookmaker who provided the tip to Henry Hill and Burke's Robert Lounge crew. He vanished on January 6, 1979. Henry Hill stated that Krugman was killed in Vinny's, uh, in Vinny's Fence Company on the orders of Burke, who did not want to pay Krugman his $500,000 share of the stolen money. Imagine being owed $500,000. Oh, yo, this is probably Marty, actually. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking Maury's about it. Or, yeah, Maury. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jesus. Um, you're expecting to get $500,000? How about getting murdered instead? Yeah. Why would I give you the money when I can just kill you? Honestly, kind of a from a criminal this standpoint. This dude kills people like like people chew gum. Yeah, he really does. He throws man. a stick in in the morning, goes in a meeting. That's Come on, man. Dude. Hill said it was, uh, it was a matter of a half a million bucks. No way Jimmy was going to deny himself half a million dollars because of Marty Krugman. If Jimmy killed Marty, Jimmy would get Marty's half of a mil. Yeah. Very simple. I guess criminally, like kind of smart yeah i mean it makes sense whatever if you're not afraid of killing someone if you're not afraid of getting caught half a million dollars this whatever. is the best solution killing is the best solution for him no matter what yeah he's, he, he's good at it he does it constantly mm-hmm. that's, that's how to hide solution a body at all times behind the bocce court yeah the only robbers who survived burke's murderous rampage after the lufthansa heist were frank james burke his son tommy de simone who joe pesci played and Angelo Seppe, a protege of Burke. Burke knew that Seppe would never cooperate with the authorities, and he never asked Burke for a larger share of the robbery proceeds. Seppe was murdered, however, in 1984, shot in the head when he answered the door one morning at his Brooklyn apartment. Look through the people. If you are a mobster, you got to be careful. Yeah. I mean, everything, everything that comes into your life unexpectedly, like people, just expect they're going to kill you. Yeah. Can you imagine the paranoia? I was just about to say, imagine living with this paranoia Jeez. every day. You've, your boss has murdered 60 to 70 people. You are at war with another family. <laughs> Absurd. I, I couldn't even imagine. Nope. I have anxiety today doing my nine to five job. Oh, dude. I, I imagine mean, if you were going to get killed on top of that. I wouldn't even do that for $6 million. Be, be that level of par not do the crime, but do have that level of paranoia. Absolutely not. There's, there's, it's not enjoyable. No way. No way, man. Um, this was in retaliation for having robbed a mafia-associated drug deal. I guess he kind of deserved yeah. it. Um, Frank James Burke was found shot to death on a Brooklyn street on May 18, 1987, due to a drug deal gone bad. Um, sounds like drugs fucked this shit up for the Lucchese crime family a lot. Um, federal, state, and local law enforcement authorities were never able to develop enough evidence to indict Burke for the Lufthansa theft or related murders. 
Um, now we're going to get into how he did get pinched. During 1982, Burke was convicted and sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for his involvement with the 1978-1979 Boston College basketball point-shaving scandal, based primarily on the testimony of former mob associate Henry Hill. Wow. He got caught betting on mediocre ACC basketball. How ridiculous yeah, yeah. is that? <laughs> Just like people and it's not even in your city either you have no ties with with like this college you probably th- you thought he was being smart doing yeah that. yeah geez what a what a comp- i mean that would have made a shitty movie it, it, it's a 30 for 30 uh, no but what i'm saying is like if he would have put if that was the reason why that's not the reason in goodfellas right. they that, don't like say yeah, it, exactly why, it's yeah. it's because of like overall crime but like that would have ruined the whole fucking movie for me. It would have. He's yeah. betting on college basketball, like eighteen yeah. year old kids. What do you get? What are you making in money off that? Like a grand a game when yeah. you have six million? It's not worth it. That's ridiculous, man. Yeah, there is a thirty for thirty on this, by the way, people, and it is uh, really, really, really good. Don't remember what it's called, but um, just Google Boston College thirty for thirty. It'll come up. Uh, Hill's testimony in federal court resulted in a total of fifty convictions in this and other cases, including those of Burke and their boss Capo Paul Vario. Herbaria. Sorry. Federal prosecutors have since said that the Burke conviction was similar to how they finally convicted Al Capone of tax evasion as opposed to Capone's involvement with bootlegging and suspicion of ordering dozens of murders. They believe Burke was the mastermind of the Lufthansa heist and involved in numerous related and unrelated murders, but never had enough evidence to indict him for those crimes. Arrested in 1982 and convicted, Burke spent the rest of his life in jail. He was serving his time in Wendy Correctional Facility in Alden, New York, when he developed lung cancer. He died on April 13, 1996, while being treated at Rosewell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo. Had he lived, he would have been eligible for parole on March 11, 2004. Damn, dude. He could have gotten out of prison. He was pretty old by the time he was, like, in prison, but... That's crazy. Well, um, dude, that's uh, that's James Jimmy the Gem Burke right there. What do you think? That was definitely my favorite one by far. Yeah, I think that was it's just like the tie-ins to my favorite movie ever is just it's you can't match that. Yeah, one. I feel like there's a lot that this Wikipedia page didn't go in depth about that I would really like. To. It was cool learning all the ins and outs yeah. of um, the Lufthansa heist and everything. I feel like his life. What like before the Lufthansa heist when he was just like doing crimes and ordering these murders like what drove him to do all of those I would really like to know yeah I wanted to kind of like understand how we how we actually like got into the mob who is first like yeah we don't get that we don't really get that we get we get that with everybody else but man I mean again central theme to like all these people is just such a fucked up childhood these yeah. guys are just fucked like you're done. After age five, you're just, like, done in this world, especially living in New York. What a terrible place. In this time, for I, sure. I mean, again, like, going back, can you imagine if these guys were still alive and went back to New York, like, in the city? Even, like, Brooklyn, they just see fucking handlebar mustaches and, like, <laughs> fixed-geared bikes with some guy riding a vest with a pocket watch. They'd blow everybody up. They kill everybody sounds in Brooklyn like, right sounds now. Sounds like you're not a fan of Brooklyn right now. No, I, dude, it's cool. It's a cool place. Like, yeah, it's an no, innovative right. place. But I'm saying going back, like these guys coming back in time and looking at this place now, they'd, they'd go nuts. They'd see a hot yoga stand on the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah and be my, like, the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck is this? Matcha? I've never heard of matcha. What the fuck what is the matcha? What the fuck is matcha? Oh, man. Um, well, yeah, that was uh, James Jimmy the Gent Burke. 
Um, he was a very, very crazy individual. Um, and yeah, obviously go see the movie Goodfellas if you haven't. If you haven't, what are you doing? Go see that movie. It is so good. Yeah, you had a pretty fucked up childhood or upbringing if you haven't seen this movie yet. It is amazing. Um, once again, I do want to remind you, as Ryan is having a coughing fit, um, to rate, review, and subscribe. We are, you know, since the first episode, trying to shorten these episodes down. And, uh, you know, we want you to, I mean, these are just so you get a good kind of understanding of who these people are. Go watch the movie. Go read more about them. Um, these are very interesting people who did a bunch of devious shit. Um, what was your most scummy award? Um, dude, there wasn't any, I mean, he's just a murderer. I think, yeah. I guess the, uh, the pre-mob killing of the ex-boyfriend and the way he did it. Yeah. Well, that's unbelievable. That is. Uh, un- truly unbelievable. That is. I, I, my, my most scummy is definitely a tie between having his son be Ooh, yeah. the scapegoat. And then how about just killing the guy for not paying him? Marty Krugman. Like, yeah. I, I do uh, the Sun one definitely. I forgot about that one. Yeah. And and what I just realized also is they probably tied in that boyfriend murder with the scene where Henry Hill beats the shit out of right Karen's mm-hmm. ex boyfriend. Yeah, I think there were definitely some parallels that maybe Henry Hill didn't do in real yeah. life, but that were involved with him. And yeah. That. Yeah, awesome stuff though awesome stuff um yeah that was a good episode um we will be back next week with um another mobster again rate review and subscribe on itunes uh we're on stitcher as well trying to get on spotify it's coming i promise um but yeah thanks for tuning in guys see ya peace